Hi there, and thanks for listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast. This is Lauren, and I manage the Adulting is Easy blog and podcast, which can be found at realadultingiseasy.com and almost anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm joined today by Jessica, and she is a co-founder of The Pioneers, a financial independence blog focused on the intersection between financial independence and lifestyle design. Jessica is a writer and lifestyle design coach. She provides coaching and courses on career discovery and lifestyle design for people who want to take unconventional paths and design lives they love. Thanks for being here, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. And I think that's probably the best title ever, the writer and lifestyle design coach. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. It's fun to be able to have that be my actual title now. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely get into that. So our goal for today is to make adulting a bit easier for our listeners by discussing a personal finance topic, since managing money is a big part of adulting. So today, Jessica, you and I are going to discuss the different ways to achieve financial independence. Before we get into all these different kinds of financial independence, let's start by defining what financial independence is. Great. So financial independence is simple, right? So it's when you have passive income that can cover your full expenses, right? So if we think about it, that's financial independence is exactly what we think about when we think about traditional retirement. If that makes sense, we want to get to a point in our careers where if we want to be able to traditionally retire at some time in our 50s, 60s, or 70s, we want to be able to cover our expenses with you know, income that we've saved and invested over the course of our career. The thing about financial independence is that we are focused also on sort of pushing the freedom and freedom earlier, right, than in your 50s, 60s, or 70s. And so some people might choose to, you know, save and invest really quickly and retire early in their 30s or 40s. Other people might decide to use their financial freedom that they gain to design a life that they love, start their own business, take a mini retirement or sabbatical, different things like that. But basically, financial independence is when you have passive income that can cover your full expenses. So it's when your assets and your investments pay for your housing expenses, your food, your car, everything like that, basically. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And there's really two ways that people achieve financial independence. So one way is through investing um, in the stock market. I recommend investing in in your sort of low cost index funds, so your S and P five hundred, or what the equivalent is of like the Vanguard total stock market index fund, since those will track with the growth of the economy and have sort of less risk than than investing in individual stocks. And so then you can get passive cash flow from investments in two ways. So one is by selling shares, right? When you're when you're older and actually need to use that that money that's grown over time in your investments. Or sometimes certain stocks will pay out what's called a dividend on, you know, in a, a quarterly basis or an annual basis where they actually sort of pay you out part of the growth. Um, and then you can use that toward your expenses. The other way that people do this is actually to have a passive cash flow that that has nothing to do with the stock market or sometimes it's in combination but some people might reach financial independence through investing in real estate so they might own property and rent that property out and then 
the money that they receive in rent then covers their their expenses. So that's one option as well. And then other people create products. So maybe they'll they'd create a, a digital product or even a physical product that could be fulfilled by a fulfillment center. And if that is the case and you've already created that product, it could provide you with passive income that could cover your expenses in the future. So people will sometimes pull a number of those different strategies together to be able to reach a place where passive income covers their full expenses. Yeah, that's such a great way to distill things down. Some people, like my parents, for example, they have they have one rental property, but it's not really a big part of their portfolio. It, it hasn't been a huge part of um, what their goals are for retirement, but they have a pretty sizable stock portfolio after, you know, my dad's been at the same company for 37 years now. So he's got like a pretty good 401k and, and they have a brokerage mm-hmm. account and things like that. So they've taken the path of primarily focusing on the stock market. I have another friend whose plan is to pay everything with rental income off of real estate. My husband and I, we actually want to be about 50% from real estate and 50% from the stock market, meaning like our bills get covered, our monthly bills get covered by the real estate and then everything else like you know, vacations and cars and things like that are covered by our stock portfolio. So that's our plan when we finally FI. That's great. So what are some ways, I know we talked about the stock market and and getting some passive cash flow, but the Twitterverse and the internet has given way to a lot of different ways for people to think about FI and even define FI. Isn't that right? Mm, Yeah, definitely. So there's a few different ways that people define it. I think there's sort of two crowds, right? There's the crowd that focuses financial independence on early retirement. Um, And then there's the crowd that focuses financial independence on freedom and lifestyle design. Um, So in terms of the early retirement piece, um, I think many people will learn about financial independence and think, wow, if I can reach this number by the time I'm 30 or 35 or 40, that means I could completely quit my job and never earn another dollar, right? And there are certainly people who do that. You know, there are really extreme examples, right? Like people who are living on less than $10,000 a year or, you know, people who... Still extreme, but less extreme, living on like fifteen or $20,000 a year, right? Who are retiring early with a portfolio of, say, $500,000 because that will, you know, enable them to cover their expenses in perpetuity. And and it's interesting. So, so within that sort of fire construct, there's sort of three different flavors of it, right? And so one of them is lean fire. And lean fire is sort of for people who are wanting to take that minimalist and that frugal approach. So say they're spending less than $40,000 a year and they're able to retire early with a portfolio of less than 1 million. Yeah. They don't go out to eat. They only eat beans. It can be so extreme. It can be quite extreme. Although I definitely have seen people. So for example, the blogger who writes A Purple Life or Jessica who writes the the blog Financial Mechanic, mm-hmm. um, both of them spend about $20,000 a year and they've just figured out how to spend 
on things that they value and to right. not spend on things that they don't. And like that works for them. And it they still do go out to eat sometimes and they spend time with friends and, you know, do do the things that they want to do. I could not I do not want to live on $20,000 a year, but it it is certainly possible um, for people who, you know, maybe are single or don't have families and who might live in a medium to lower cost of living um, area. Yeah, it um, definitely needs to be low cost of living. I've, <laughs> I've heard of people that are like literally like both teachers mm-hmm. that achieve FI pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so teachers are maybe together making forty dollars or $50,000 sometimes, to both of you together. So if you want to fire, you basically, once you get down to $20,000 in expenses, you're saving half of everything, but you only have to save enough to cover passively Mm $20,000. Right. Exactly. And just to talk about like, you know, for people who might be like, how do you even figure out what that number is? Like, what is the calculation? So there was a study that was done um, called the Trinity study that did basically research on the market to say, what is the likelihood that a portfolio would last someone a 30-year retirement if they withdrew a certain amount of that portfolio each year. And they realized that really like the magic number for someone to not run out of money was around 4% because the market is growing at, you know, approximately that rate or higher, right? On on mm-hmm. any given basis. And so if you are withdrawing from a por- 4% from your portfolio, you're really only withdrawing the gains. And so because of that, you're very unlikely to actually run out of money. So sort of inverse of that, right? Like 4% of 100% um, is 25. And so you would multiply your annual expenses by 25. And that's the number that you would need to be able to retire early and never, ever, ever earn another dollar ever again. Right. That that was a pretty amazing study. And it's something along the lines of you have like a 90 90- something percent chance of of success mm-hmm. with a portfolio for 30 years if you withdraw 4%. The only instances where it really didn't work when they looked at throughout history was if you retired and planned to withdraw 4% right before a gigantic drop like mm-hmm. yep. what happened in like 1987 or um 2008, right? Yeah, so exactly. with so barring that detrimental of a year and like your first couple of years of retirement, the 4% rule stands and there's ways to get around that, right? Like you can have, you can have enough cash in your report in your, uh, in your bank account to cover one or two years of living expenses. And then if you get pummeled like that right away, you just use that cash and don't touch your principal. But yeah, so just exactly. to, just to summarize what you said there, Jessica, four goes into 125 times. So that's where the 25 times your living expenses number comes from. So if you needed, maybe you're better at math than me, if you needed $20,000 a year with that lean fire example we've been talking about, so 20 times 25 would be uh, what your principal, what your portfolio needed to be for you to retire and basically be active income optional for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. And for somebody who spends 20000 that would be a portfolio of 500000 Wow. Which seems large, right? It seems, it does definitely seem large, but for someone who's coming out into the workforce and and getting a fairly high paying job up front, like coming out of college, it's not hard 
to live on 20 to 30,000 a year or less. And so if you can just start banking like all of that income um, on top of those expenses, like you can get pretty close to that, you know, not in, in, it will take a while, right? But not forever. No, Um, not forever. And that's the thing about college. I have a cousin who's in college right now and she spends like an absurdly low amount of money. Now I think she's mm -hmm. subsidized because of the college that she's in, but it's like, she's spending like $12,000 a year or something Mm -hmm. right now. And her plan fully is to continue with that same exact lifestyle when she gets into mm-hmm. her job. First of all, because she's going to have student loans that she has to pay back. But as soon as those are paid, I mean, you just keep making that payment, but you make it to yourself and to your portfolio instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like for example, so my husband and I got married right after we graduated from college. And in those like first few years, our expenses combined were less than 30000 so like less than 15,000 each. Um, a big part of that was because we graduated in 2009 and there weren't very many good jobs and we had, you know, fairly low paying sort of nonprofit or university jobs at the time. But it sort of set us on a path. And yes, over time, we've increased our spending and there's been some lifestyle inflation that has been a really, really good choice, right? Like having <laughs> yeah. a a washer and dryer in our unit and (laughs) having a dishwasher and getting to go out to eat every once in a while, right? These luxuries. You know, it made made life so much better, like being able to go on a vacation, right? Like we definitely spend more than that now. However, as as we increased our income, we, we were able to say, okay, like, we still we actually want to funnel a lot of the increase into savings and investments and mm-hmm. only inflate our income like or only inflate our spending by like a little bit right and so yeah. and so I think we that's were key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. is the idea of if you're going to inflate your lifestyle do it on purpose mm-hmm. you know do it do it knowingly that you're doing it a lot of people and I felt I felt prey to this too you know you start making some good money and you're like okay well I guess it's time for me to leave my starter home. Now, I did keep my starter home and rent it out at least, but like, you know, you get the you get the bigger house with the bigger garage and the higher ceilings and the nicer finishes and whatever. And then I even got a BMW to like top it all off. Like, because of course, that's what you do when you make more money. And then I looked around one day and I was like, actually, like you were talking about with those other bloggers, you look around, and you're like, these are not what I value you know, Mm -hmm. but if you can get ahead of it, right. Like a lot of these listeners are going to be young, you know, my sister's 18, she listens. And then some of her friends and people in their twenties, if you can get ahead of that early and understand that lifestyle creep, even though it seems like a very normal thing, it does not have to be normal for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ultimately like, so I guess what, what I can talk more about here is like, Yes, fire is one approach, right? And and actually taking that early retirement approach is is one possibility. I don't actually think it's the most optimal solution, especially for people who are so young, right? Because we have so much life ahead of us. We might be burnt out in our particular jobs. But I actually think that the vast majority of people, once they recover from burnout, will want to do something productive that could be income generating, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so the other type of financial independence is not focused on early retirement. It's more focused on building financial freedom so you can make changes in your life to make your life better, right? So examples of that might be, right, like I I can use my own life as an example. In 2018, because we had saved and had a sort of pretty sizable emergency fund and a good amount of investments, right? When I was 31, I was able to actually take six months off of work. And I and I had to do that. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't to travel the world. It was to deal with a health issue. However, it was really wonderful to be able to take that step and say, it's totally fine for me to take the disability and only receive 60% of my income, right? During taking uh, six months completely off of work, like there was no, hardly even a thought about the finances of that decision. Another thing is realizing that we had reached what is called Coast Fi, um, and I can explain that concept. So that concept is basically that you've saved enough already and invested enough already that your traditional retirement is set. And so that takes into account like the time horizon that, that you have for compounding to do its work in the market, right? So for example, by, you know, say by the age of 31, Right. If I wanted to be able to traditionally retire at 65 and I spent $40,000 a year, I only needed about $200,000 saved um, in my investments to be able to completely cut back and only cover my actual expenses. Right. And so when you get to that point where you're like, oh, I've saved enough already, that's coast by. Right. And so what you can decide to do at that point is you can decide you want to continue to save. Right. And that's that's we're we're continuing to save as well. However, we have decided like we actually can scale back like we don't need to save quite as much money. Or the third option is that you can completely scale back and only cover your actual costs and just let the market. Right. And the compound interest do its work for you. So for example, let's say you are a 25-year-old who spends $25,000 a year. Like I have a calculator, I'll actually send it to you and you can put it in the show notes. If you're 25, if you spend $25,000 a year, all you need to have is $89,000 saved in your retirement accounts. (laughs) Right? Like that is what (laughs) you need. And at that point, you could decide to scale back and only cover your actual costs because that 88,000 like 88,000 is going to grow using a 5% growth rate which is very conservative reach your full fine number by the age of 65. Yeah, so let's talk let's break that down just a little bit. Let's pretend instead of that number being 88,000 let's say it was 100,000 sure. to make things easier. Mm-hmm. That means you're 25 you have $100,000 in your 401k for example. And next year you earned you earned five percent. That means next year you have one hundred and five thousand because you earn five percent on the one hundred. Then the mm-hmm. next year you earn five percent on that one hundred, yep. and you earn five percent on that five thousand, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what Jessica's saying when she's talking about compound interest, and that's how things grow over time. So the but idea is, if you have that, it should uh, should double. I don't know. How many times before between then and when you're 
65 oh, like three or three or four three or four times and and to be clear right the market is not quite as predictable as that right like it's that's an average so some years it'll be a lot higher than that and some years it'll be lower than that but that's what it will average out to be so if you put the money in the market and sort of set it forget it and just let it grow and yeah, then set it, the forget thing, it buy index funds right don't mm-hmm. don't buy particular stocks or do that with a teeny tiny little bit of yeah, exactly. your portfolio if you really, really want to, but I don't do any of that. But basically, like if we t- if we walk through what this actually means you can do, right? Like say you're 25, you have, you know, slightly less than $100,000 in your portfolio. This and you spend $25,000 a year. This means all you would need to do would be to make $25,000 a year. So like, say you're at a job where you make $75,000 a year, like you might be able to scale back to part-time, like you might be able to decide to do freelancer contracting work instead to generate that income rather than, you know, needing to continue to work full-time, or you might be able to start your own business. And 75 might be high, right, for a 25-year-old. I definitely did not make that when I was 25, right? I made closer to to 50,000 when I was 25. But it, it's it's just incredibly amazing to think about what you could do if all you needed to do was actually cover your expenses. Yeah, what you I guess what you can't really do is just start spending more because right then that number that you need when you're 65 would then be probably wrong unless you're gonna come you're gonna like all right <laughs> I'm gonna spend I'm spend, spending twenty five thousand dollars a year now I'm gonna spend twenty five thousand dollars a year maybe in today's dollars right when I retire when I'm 65 okay now I don't need to save anymore because I have my uh, coast fi number and so I can just keep my job and just start spending more like it doesn't really right. work like that it's more that's like true. that's maybe, exactly right maybe dial just just dial down how much you make <laughs> and dial down how how difficult and how, you know, take away some of the not fun parts of your life and your job and find something you like, which is what you've done, right? We got into the whole description of Coast Fi. So we realized that we had reached Coast Fi. And then because of that, I decided to go back to work part-time. And so I went back to work and I worked three days a week for like the for like the last two years. So throughout the course of 2019 and 2020. And then used my extra time to work on passion projects and start my business. And then in December, I actually quit my job to become a full-time entrepreneur. And part of the reason why I was able to do that, like it felt like I made that decision before I was ready, right? Like my business had had grown to cover about 50% of my previous salary, but I was able to make that leap knowing that I had the savings, I had the investments, and I had some runway to make it to to sort of get to a place where it would be successful if I needed it, right? And it happens to be that it's, you know, sort of meeting my most ambitious goals in the first month of it, which is great. It's very confirming of the decision. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but I'm so happy that I realized that I don't need to wait until I can be fully fi and retire early before I do any of these things. I think that's a, a a fallacy that people often think that they need to reach that sort of full freedom before being able to make some of these shifts. Yeah, and that was really the whole 
the financial dependence retire early. That's the fire movement or just FI in general. It was a pretty revolutionary concept for me personally. I mean, logically you realize someday I'm going to still have expenses and I'm not going to be working and therefore I'm going to need to be covering those. Right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this general idea that you understand even when you're a kid because your grandparents are doing it or whatever. Right. But to really think like, what does that mean? All right. We're going to use the Trinity study and the 4% rule. Okay. If I want to spend um, $100,000 a year, I need $2.5 million in my retirement account. Okay. But that $2.5 million, that's the number, whether you're 65 or 60 or 55 or 50 or 45 or 40. Right. So when you realize, then you start thinking, well, how can I then, if that's the number, how can I get to that as quickly as possible? So that was really cool for me until I talked to you or saw, or saw you, you know, on social media, I had never really heard of or thought of Coastify because, you know, I guess it's, it's a relative, I guess it's all kind of a relatively new concept, but the idea that it's not all or nothing, right. That you don't have to fire, you can Coastify, you can be done enough to just cover your expenses until you, you want to be fully, fully done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or there's also semi-retirement too. So right there are people who, I have a friend who she's in her early thirties and I would say they're on sort of the lean fire side, like her and her partner, I think spend certainly less than $40,000 a year. They learned about this idea of coast fi and then the idea of semi-retirement, which is that you could start to withdraw like a portion from retirement funds. So you could withdraw instead of 4%, like 1% or 2% or 3% and then cover the rest with active income. And so they were faced with the ah. choice of saying we could sort of like retire early in a semi-retired way and still generate $10,000 a year in active income or we could work for three more years to make sure we're 100% safe, right? Mm-hmm. And so for them, when they learned about the whole idea of semi-retirement and realized like at most they would need to generate $10,000 a year of active income, they were like, we can do that by like opening credit cards and getting sign-on bonuses and like walking dogs and like doing random consulting work, right? Okay. Like yeah. if you, you know, once you get to a certain point, it's like not that hard to generate $10,000 a year. And so they were able to actually make that decision and say, great, we, you know, we can leave now if, you know, and we're able to cover, you know, by, by only pulling out 4% of the portfolio, right. They're able to cover, you know, like 80 to 90% of their expenses um, and then need to cover just a little bit of it with active income. Um, And what's interesting about this too, is you can be aiming for full FI, you know, you could go, you could be like, I'm going to go FI and then I'm going to quit, but something could change in your job where, mm -hmm. okay, A, there could be a global pandemic and your job could cease to exist, or Mm -hmm. you could get a new boss that you don't like, or the culture of the company could change or whatever it is. So you could be on your way for one, and then you could really start to reevaluate. Okay, I remember hearing about Coast FI and semi retirement. Let me really, really think about that. And do I have mm-hmm. the net worth to fall back on? Because that's what yeah. that's what I personally like about you know. I guess my husband and I are we're, we're sort of fire as of that's kind of what we're thinking right now, but we don't mm-hmm. really identify that way. We do want to retire earlier than you know most people do, mm-hmm. and we do save about you know fifty sixty percent of what we make. 
So by definition, I suppose that makes us fire people. But knowing that these options are out there in case things change or we're not happy or we really want to start a business and we're like, okay, what well, can we make some sort of assumption that that's going to make? And does that change how, how the numbers look? It's just, it's really interesting. It really is. It just puts you in the driver's seat of your life more than people who are not thinking this way, I think. Yeah. One really surprising thing is that I've, in our lives, we've seen intentional decisions to like slow down and improve our life, thinking like, oh, this thing is going to slow down our path to financial independence. Mm -hmm. It hasn't, which is so fascinating, right? Because when I ended up taking that career break and going back to work part-time, we looked at the numbers and we were like, oh, if our spending stays the same and everything, you know, and Mm -hmm. and everything stays the same, this will add to years, right? Like two and a half years to our our path, which is one crazy because I took a 50% pay cut to work three days a week and it was only going to add two additional years to the to the five timeline. Like why would we not do that? What we realized was that because like I had so much more time and was able to like not be miserable all the time. We actually spent like so much less money. We weren't like, oh, we're so miserable. We deserve this fancy dinner out. We deserve this fancy vacation. Like we can't bother with travel hacking this vacation because we just don't have time. Right. It was like all of a sudden I had time and we spent, you know, on average like a thousand dollars less a month and then realized it had no impact on our FI timeline. Right. I, I believe that. And that's um, in Your Money or Your Life, right? The book mm. where she talks about you have to you have to almost add not only all of those expenses, right? The going out to eat expenses, right? The wine expenses, right? Because mm-hmm. you deserve it. It's almost part of your job expenses because if you didn't have that job, you wouldn't have to do those things. And then also you have to add in all the time you spend complaining about your work, <laughs> right? right? So, exactly. You know, if you really start thinking about what your work costs you and then you start factoring, it's all, this is all in your money or your life. It's this idea of like, you think you're making, say, $30 an hour, but when you factor in all the extra money that you're spending because you're stressed about your job and all the time you're spending complaining about your job, you're down to like $15 an hour. And could you get a job at $15 an hour where you're freaking happy as heck? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and it's interesting. I think I went through a process over the last couple of years you know, as I had more time to think about like, what would I love to do? Like, what do I truly love to do and want to be doing with my free time? Right. And for me, I realized that's like writing, sharing things that I've learned, coaching, like facilitating events and retreats and workshops for people. Like that's the kind of thing that I really love doing. And so then I started doing that, right. Just on the side as a passion project, all of a sudden, I realized I could generate income doing it. So why not? And then, right? And then I was like, okay, let me just see if this will work. Like, I feel like it will. It could take a couple of years to sort of get to the point where it's in a it's in a great place. But like, I'm loving what I'm doing, right? And I'm in my like first month as, well, second month now, because I guess it's February as a full-time entrepreneur. And it's very likely that my my business is going to generate like more revenue than my previous salary. 
Amazing. Congratulations. That's um, really right? which awesome. Is, which it's also like, so I'm making these decisions to slow down the path that could slow down the path, right? And I'm making these decisions like in a way that some people might say they're too early, right? But mm-hmm. it, then it's not actually slowing down my path. It's like I'm making these decisions to optimize for quality of life and it's you know, making the the path to financial independence sort of not change, which is fascinating. I think it likely will in the future. You know, once my husband also hopefully decides to quit his job, he's not ready to do that yet. And, you know, and then at that point, we we will probably, you know, slow that timeline to FI down a lot more um, mm-hmm. and, and really optimize for those quality of life decisions. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's been sort of an amazing path that I wish I had learned about a lot earlier than 31. Yeah. And I appreciate you taking the time to share it with the adulting is easy listeners. Of course. Are there any other kinds of FI? Are there anything else you want to add? <laughs> I Well, we talked about Coast Fi. We talked about semi-retirement and like we talked about sort of the difference between fire and lean fire. So I think that's probably good. I think that's sort of a good enough overview for for folks at this point. I think the thing that I want to leave people with is, especially for young people, this idea of Coast Fi. Like if you can get $100,000 saved by the age of 25, you will have so much freedom to be able to like do whatever it is that you want, right? Like you would be able to take a sabbatical and travel around the world for six months if you want to. You can find a job that you actually enjoy, right? And I know that that, that doing that is not easy, right? Like saving 100000 by 25 certainly is not easy, Right. Especially I know people come out of school with student loans and that's, you know, a a challenge. But even saving that amount by the age of 30 gives you so much freedom. Right. Or the age of 35 can give you so much freedom. And so I would definitely, you know, sort of leave that that concept with you. Yeah, I love that. So managing money is a huge part of adulting and achieving financial independence is pretty much the ultimate goal uh, when it comes to managing your money. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Would you like to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Absolutely. Um, You can find me on my blog. It's thefioneers.com. And then you can also find me on social media, um, on Twitter and Instagram at thefioneers. All right. I'll put that in the show notes along with that um, calculator as well. Uh, everybody, you can follow me on Twitter at Adulting is Easy. I'm also on Facebook at the same name. You can email me at realadultingiseasy at gmail.com. You can show support at patreon.com slash adultingiseasy. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, we've made adulting a little easier for you. <laughs>